0: What's up, donation Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy. I make music as come nightfall, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, sound designers, and everyone else in between on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, branding, marketing, and overall music business basis. This is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. We've had people like Trivecta, Amity, Pixel Terror, Nerco, Delta Heavy, Cashmere, AU5, Kiro, and a bunch of others. So if you're interested in that, Head on over to the Daw Nation YouTube channel. You can also listen to those episodes over here on Behind the Daw, but those are the point. Five episodes. So the last episode was fifty-five point five with Trivecta and Amity breaking down their song "Riptide" that was released on Monster Cat. So if you're more interested in listening than watching, go ahead and find those on the podcast. But if you're more interested in watching than listening, go ahead and check it out over on the Daw Nation YouTube channel. So with all that out of the way, who are we interviewing today? Now, of course, you already know we are interviewing the freaking legend himself, Flux Pavilion. But if this is some absolutely insane, crazy scenario where you're living under a rock, in fact, you're living under a. in the back of a cave with absolutely no Wi-Fi and you have no idea who Flux Pavilion is, I'm going to help you out. Alright, so I'm going to tell you why he's even worth listening to. First off, the dude is an absolute legend. He's been around since like the 2010-2011 era where the dubstep revolution really took full force and we're going to be talking about that today, but here's a few other reasons why you should listen to Flux Pavilion. First off, he has amassed over 1 billion streams worldwide. That's billion with a capital freaking B, All right. He also has collabs with Rusko, Kill the Noise, 4 Beggars, Dr. P, Major Laser, Steve Aoki, Nightmare Snails, and Marshmallow, and so many other people. If you want to check out his credits, go check him out. He literally has, like, every credit possible. It's insane. And as a comic book nerd, this one's pretty cool. He played himself in the DC Comics Arrow TV show. Which is, like, what? Like, he is literally that famous that he played himself in a TV show. It's absolutely incredible. And right now, like, literally right now, if you went over to Spotify, you would see that he has over 2.6 million monthly listeners. That's not how many listens he gets a month. That's just the unique listeners that come to his profile every single month. Donation, even if he is really important, he's really famous, he's got a lot going on. What are you going to learn today? What are you going to walk away with? How is this episode going to benefit your life? Well, Donation, that is a very handsome question that you got. And here is a few things that you're going to be learning in this episode. By the way, this is just a few things. There's a lot more that I'm not mentioning here, but here is some things that you can plan to walk away with. First off, Flux Pavilion is going to share. some. Some really important advice that he has learned after playing over 1,000 live shows in the last decade. All right, he's also going to talk about what his personal definition of success was when he just barely started, and now how it has shifted and what it is now. He's also going to talk about how Flux still, to this day, struggles with imposter syndrome. He still doesn't think he's very good. Like, it's incredible because the dude is a freaking legend, but he's going to talk about how he still struggles with that. He's also going to talk about what it was like living at the forefront of the huge revolutionary dubstep movement almost 10 years ago. And finally, we are going to be talking about why creating the music in your head should be your number one creative goal right now. So, Daw Nation, I hope you are freaking pumped for this week's episode, which, by the way, this episode is sponsored by The School Base, which is 85 and in the Dawes Sound Design course. But we will talk about about that later on. Don't worry, we're going to get through the entire interview first before we ever talk about that. So Daw Nation, without further ado, let's get into this week's interview and go behind the Daw with the legend himself, Flux Pavilion. welcome everyone to this episode of Behind the Daw. We are absolutely honored to be able to have Flux Pavilion. Dude, say what's up to Daw Nation, man. What's up to Daw Nation, man? Good job. That was
1: beautiful. Almost verbatim, I would say. Yeah, I yeah, well, yeah. didn't know which bit you wanted me to accentuate, so I just kind of went for all of it. You did beautifully.
0: You did beautifully. <laughs> Thank you for that. We also have my co-host today, who is Daddy. Daddy, how are you doing today? What's up? In an interview, you talked about how, well, at least this was two years ago, you've done almost or over a thousand shows. I mean, how many do you think you've done by now?
1: I don't know. See, I haven't actually counted, but it's been on average around 100 a year for about 11 years, an assumption that I'm relatively confident in. It's safe to guess
0: that we're over a thousand shows now. So what are some of the most important things that you have learned with playing over a thousand shows? Like some of the biggest walkaways that you're like, yes, this is these are
1: the big takeaways from this much (laughs) shows, you know? A interesting point is that you're always learning new things, just such as life really. Like you never, once you think you got a handle on something, you just, yeah, it spins you in another direction. And a thing that I'm starting to get my head around at the moment, or I don't know, I did a show and I played a whole bunch of new stuff and everyone had a great time. And I came off and I was like, wow, I'm really surprised everyone, everyone got it. And like everyone was just so much in there, even though they've never heard the music before. And it was, I can't remember who I was with. Someone said, well, yeah, they're people. And they like music. That's why they're there. And it just kind of, yeah, it really sort of dawned on me that you can spend so much time wrapped up in your own world. You get really, you get so scared that no one else is. They haven't been on the journey with you in the in the studio, so they're not going to understand it. But music is such a a universal thing that people just feel. And yeah, have faith in the people in front of you because they're really they're there because they want to hear you do your thing don't have to pander to them you don't have to try and make them love you they're there because they want to hear some music so just do that and trust trust that everyone will be with you like side by side and yeah it's something that i'm starting to bring into my mind when i walk out on stage just like just don't worry about it we're all here together experiencing the same thing and yeah just believe in one another
0: and we just have a good time has there ever been a time where it was the opposite of that where like someone was so openly against whatever you were doing on stage. And it was like, it was almost painful. Like, has that ever happened?
1: I would suppose so. But nothing that I can really, not a situation that I can recall. Mainly because if people aren't really connecting with what I'm doing, I enjoy that too. Because there will be either a moment where you can win the crowd over or just the fun experience of people turning up to hear some big room house and you're playing some really stompy dubstep and they just don't want to hear it. And you're just like, well... I like this. This is this is what I'm gonna do. So let's just let's see where we end up. And that's quite fun because you do always end up on the same page. I've definitely played to some crowds that I thought I dunno, I was like I was after someone who was really vastly different to me and I was before someone that's really vastly different. I was like, they're not gonna get this in the first ten minutes is just you can see that people are just a bit like trying to work out what's happening. But they always come it always comes together. I think the general population thinks way less about it than we do. I just wanna hear some good music. And I don't really care what the scene is. I don't really care what kind of tempo it is, what genre it is. It's just like, if it's good, it's good. And I think, yeah, even when faced with a crowd that I, would on paper, think wouldn't understand what I do. As long as I do what I do, honestly, I think people just come along.
0: The things that you've learned over the last thousand shows is that you're always learning. You're, uh, you need to have faith that the crowd is, is going to go with you. Is there anything else that you've learned that you want to talk about that just like it took 10 years of experience <coughs> to figure out?
1: Well, I always have fans on stage, like um, like oscillating fans that blow air, not fans as in fans from the crowd. But, but yeah. it's, <laughs> it still is a thing that like, when they're setting the fans up, t- often, I'd say 99 times out of 100, there's not a fan on stage. And I get it set up just before I go on. And the DJ before me goes, why didn't I do that? so hot it's like sweating so much why didn't I think of that and it happens every single time I was just like dude just put because my rider is like sort of 12 bottles of water maybe some coconut water and two fans I'm just like I'm a simple <laughs> man
0: just to <laughs> clarify though just to clarify on your rider does it say and maybe coconut
1: water or is it like do you give them that choice do you let do you let I think them- it's like it's specified not vita coco or something like that there's one, that one I don't like. But yeah, there's coconut water. I think there's Diet Coke. And I used to have more wild stuff. Like at one I don't, on one tour, I had a a puppy and a a sketch drawing of my own face, which nearly <laughs> everyone did. It was like a forty show tour. That tour bus was just filled with paintings and sketches of my face, basically. Which what was, happened to was, the was puppies? Cool. Like, did you give the puppies back? No, nah, the pu- only like one or two people brought puppy, and they just like bring it onto the bus and we hang out with the puppy for a bit and then it's obviously their puppies so I just kind of take it back. But yeah, that one was, it didn't come into, into the fray as much. Yeah, we didn't just, yeah, just take puppies every single night.
2: One thing that we often talk about quite a bit on this is what is, you know, success? I guess my question to you is you, you have been doing this for a while now. I mean, I've known about you for years. What were your early definitions of success compared to what success means for you now?
1: I guess at the start, it was to have a DJ play my song, purely having someone Outside of my bedroom, acknowledge that the piece of music that I'd written was real, like actually allowed in the real world. That was, that felt like a success. And that kind of, kind of, yeah, I guess that continued for the first few years. If I wrote a record and I heard someone play it, I was like, yes, I've done the thing. I've written the piece of music that mm-hmm. someone else actually considers also a, pe- like a legitimate piece of music. Cause it's quite easy to, you know, just kind of sat there in your bedroom working on stuff. And there's not really a tipping point where, you wake up and go, I'm a professional now, or I, I can do this now. It just is a slow meandering of getting slightly better until yeah. Even now, I write music and I feel like a charlatan. I often say, like to my manager, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not that good at production. He's like, dude, you're a world class, or not even world class, but like a, at least a well a recognised over the world producer. You're allowed to say you're a producer now. I still just don't quite feel it. I still feel like. A kid in my bedroom working on music, hoping that yeah, hoping that someone else will like it. So I think that success for me in the early days was just someone listening to my music and not thinking this was written by a teenager in his bedroom. And then I think now success is it's kind of similar, but it's more about that I've been true to what I wanted, or at least I've maintained the because the best part of a track happens in the first couple of hours. I would argue that the song that you're working on whatever it is gets written in the first 2 or 3 hours. That's when the song gets written and the rest of the time is making it palatable, sort of like dialing in a little bit, making it kind of make sense. But the thing that happens that turns some f- that where silence turns into a song that happens in the very first early moments and I used to spend ages and ages, sometimes months and months, dialing in tracks, trying to change sections and stuff like this. And now I'm just kind of like, I'm trying to retain as much of that first moment as possible whilst making it just feel complete. And often when I'm finishing a track, I'll listen to my first demo that I did on the first day. And if it still feels the same, then that's a success as far as I'm concerned. I've successfully managed to capture something, capture a moment and see it through to the end. If I'm working on a track, and something doesn't feel right, and I'm like, this needs to be fundamentally changed. I'll just write a new song.
2: The creation is really, I guess, where you draw your passion from. Then is that creation of what those first couple hours of creation? That is that's your high from this.
1: Yeah, that that's what writing music is to me. The correct when something just kind of happens. Sometimes it'll be yeah. I very rarely laboriously plow through stuff until i've got a song at the end the song will happen instantaneously nearly i'll, just, I'll sit there i'll be playing on a keyboard and i'll h- hear something in my head and be like that's cool and i'll frantically it's not quite quite frantic i guess it's like i get into a bit of a fever and just dial stuff in and throw things in and plug in another synth and pick up my guitar and just do stuff and in that moment that's when a song's written and it's still a it's still a demo and the production process after that is the bit that I find more laborious. It's that first moment, yeah, that to me is what writing music is all about. That's that's what I'm good at, I guess. That's what I look at my job to do. Or like that kind of thing, like, oh what do you what do you love to do? I love to get into a bit of a fever and go mad and just flow ideas into a project.
0: Your early definition of success was that you we create something that someone would acknowledge is legitimate as someone of worth would would acknowledge that it's
1: legitimate correct is that, a, is that would, a correct? someone of worth but just someone i think um yeah if i play a song or if someone heard my piece of music and they go oh i like this artist flux pavilion that made me feel better than anything just because i'm like wow i mean they think i'm an artist this is amazing
2: well just so you know to fulfill your young i, I remember in senior year of high school me and my friends were bumping your music on the way to one of our soccer tournaments, and just like having a blast. So you definitely have made an impact on me in my early years of music.
1: So I, awesome. I appreciate that, and and uh, it's really cool, man. To me, is a resounding success. That is all the time I put into that piece of music to give you that moment. Is what more could I want? What more could I want than to yeah have someone else enjoy? enjoy themselves or enjoy a part of their life because of like some sound that i created that's a yeah that's a big success in my book when you're in your early days it was just
0: anyone that you that you wanted to acknowledge your music and to you know at least have a positive emotional response to it but from your current status of success your current definition of success you're saying that you still want that but it's more so you achieve that by staying true to your artistic sense right? That's kind of the difference between old success and new success now for
1: you. Yeah. I think the things that I focus on more now, yeah, rather than trying to please other people, I guess, I'm trying to just make sure I stay true to myself. And that's a... I guess I'm, I'm looking at this because it feels like the obvious answer is, you know, like 10 million plays, a platinum record, loads of money, like all these sort of ideas of what makes something successful. But I think there's so much more to skill There's so much more to the feeling that you get from being very skilled and being really good at something and feeling good about yourself. That sense of pride. I think um, the focus of success being on other stuff that happens outside the studio, it's always kind of felt wrong to me. If someone's to say I'm a big success because I sold loads of records, if that record wasn't mine, you know, it wasn't an honest piece of work for me, I wouldn't feel good about it. And I think just feeling really good about my own work is... That's what makes me feel I'm a, I'm a success. And it. And the greatest thing is it's easy to do because all you have to do is just listen to yourself and have fun and enjoy it. We can all be the most successful producers in the world as far as we're concerned just by listening to ourselves. How you're saying your your
0: definition of success is that you want people to acknowledge it and to to have this basically positive responses, positive experience with your music. Why is that important? I agree with you, I want the same thing. But I want to hear in your own words, like, why is that important? Why is that an integral part of your artistry?
1: I think um, it's not so much the word want, I don't think it's quite right, because it's not at that point in my creativity and in my career, I didn't want to be successful because I didn't know what's, I wanted to write music, really. So I guess the question is what was success? And I guess the closest thing I've got is the feeling of that i had done something that has made it out of my own little world and my own little bubble but i think to be driven for that maybe isn't quite right i think being kind of proud of something and then someone else also liking it it bolsters that pride maybe it's, it's an it's an interesting question it's uh, yeah it's kind of hard to answer because we do all i think fundamentally want other people to like us as people or you know as friends and like our work and respect us and stuff like that but it's kind of like some of us get too lost in it being a driving force of what we're trying to do but i it's i think it's a lie to say that you don't want to be loved and have your work be respected by other people that's not true but why? As to why, then I don't know. go speak to a therapist.
0: It's a really good question. I was uh, I was interviewing Crywolf. Probably gave me the most accurate answer. And I don't even know if it's still fully the best answer. But he gave me like, well, I found so far like the most satisfying answer to that question, which is the greatest desire of a creator is to be known. And it's not it's not for someone to partake just to partake of your art or to acknowledge it on the deep level. It's for them to know like what you experienced and to also share that experience. Can we agree with that? Mm.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a nice a nice way of looking at it. I think one of the things that's kind of kept not kept me going, but definitely gave me a, a buzz when I was because I started writing music when I was about 12 or 13 and I remember th- started thinking about death and like just I guess you get to that age where you start thinking about the rest of your life. You're like not a kid anymore, and I was like death is quite scary. How do what do I think about that? And then when I was writing music and I kind of just sort of thought, the things that I do now won't die. And that's transcended now as I get older, as like with my family and like I haven't had kids yet, but having kids and the stamp that you make on other people's lives and your friends and stuff like that, like that's a reason to live. And it's a reason to not be scared of death because the things that you do while you're alive transcend your own life and they go further than that. And I think part of what makes me really... Excited to write music sometimes is the idea that I'm leaving a legacy, I suppose, or I'm creating something that's going to, that will last longer than me and have its own life in its, and that it, that's just, it's really, it's quite deep. It's not fully formed as a thought, but yeah, something about, something about music living living forever and you being able to leave those feelings and leave those thoughts for other people to experience potentially thousands of years in the future is a buzz. I really like it. I like that thought and it makes me kind of really focus on the work that I'm doing sometimes and being like, yeah, I really want to capture this feeling properly because imagine someone in hundreds of years... Listening to this and feeling that thing, feeling that I felt in that moment in my basement or whatever. From my
0: understanding of what you're feeling, because I feel the same way, and I'm, I know Brennan feels the same way as well. From what I understand, from where that comes from, why we want that, why we want that not only to affect people in a positive way, but to affect people in a positive way throughout generations, even long after that we're gone, actually comes back to like the basic needs of a human and kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs?
1: um i recognized the words yeah, but yeah totally. it, doesn't, it doesn't connect to, anything totally. to me totally
0: once i start telling you you'll know exactly what i'm talking about where it's like at the bottom it's like the basic needs like food sleep shelter so on and so forth right and then as you as you meet those and you move up to your other more complicated needs like love acceptance you know so on and so forth and So kind of in, in the core of all of those needs is one of two things. It's either survival or thriving, right? You meet survival and then you, and then you can thrive after that. And so what I think that you're saying is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from helping people with your music is helping them here. and Now it's helping them survive and thrive in this day and age, but to go to that next step, the next part of the hierarchy is to help them survive and thrive forever. Is that, is that what you're saying?
1: Well, I think um, it's actually a lot more selfish than that. In, um, I agree, but my, I guess the point I was making is that for me to write music, it stops me getting too bleak and being scared of death because I will, it, my work will live past my death and it, I can effectively live forever. And it's that survivability. It's like, oh, what's the, how am I going to survive? How am I going to, like, what's the point of the stuff that I'm doing now? And the idea that my music, is something that can potentially live for thousands of years, make me kind of helps me get over the idea of not being able to physically survive because I can conceptually create something that will that will and can live forever. So it's kind of like a way of swerving round the fear of death, <laughs> I suppose, in the in the sort of in the means of dubstep.
2: I, I think that something we've talked to multiple people is that there's a desire deep down to kind of be part of a new movement, a new genre, a new sound. I, even since I started producing at 15, 16 years old, that was something my grandma who raised me was like, hey, you should create a new genre. You know, I don't know. There, there's something that people want to be involved with something new. And I look at the kaigos and the, you know, LNEMs and these people who are kind of bringing these new sounds forward. And I feel like you are one of those names that I would recognize as a pioneer and someone who really brought forth like dubstep and so I just wanted to ask like you know talking to someone who I believe has made a massive impact in that field which is still thriving like how does that feel to be have been part of that early movement and sound and then having it still be popular and big and being you know innovated upon like what does that feel like
1: It's an interesting question because I never, I've never had this question asked to me in this format. The feeling, it kind of, I guess, it's gonna sort of sound. It feels like I should have a really positive soundbite here, but just kind of feels like something that happened and is cool. I can't imagine what life would have been like without doing this. If you know what I mean, this is like what has happened, so it's hard for me to imagine if I hadn't have been part of dubstep and i had been looking at looking at it from the outside because the whole thing just, it felt really natural, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There wasn't a man, we need to do something new. We need to start a new wave. It was just kind of, I'd heard a couple of records that I was really digging and dubstep felt like a place where like I've always been really driven by the weird and the wild and the like Frank Zappa is my, one of my heroes, probably my absolute hero. His ethos was generally just kind of he took not taking himself seriously, really seriously. He would do whatever he wanted because all he wanted was to be skilled and creative, I think. I mean, I'm obviously talking for him. This is my perception of like a simplification of his work. But what he represented to me was always just kind of like just doing whatever you want and doing whatever you feel. And if you can see a boundary, push it. Why not? Why not lean towards the obscure and the unexplored because that's way more fun than just kind of noodling around with stuff that already existed. Why not explore what hasn't existed yet? And when I first heard dubstep, I was like, this is totally it. In my generation, this feels like something that hasn't existed yet. And that's really fun and really exciting. So I want to I write some of that. And then what happened with that music is, was completely out of my control and out of all of our control. So it, it doesn't feel, I feel like I was there at the start, but it wasn't really by design. It wasn't like, oh, we need to make dubstep a thing. For me, it was like, I, just, I want to make dubstep for like full stop. That's I've heard this music and I reckon I can explore around this sound and, and create something really interesting. And yeah, when we started Circus Records, we were always just kind of thinking we want to release music that's never existed before. And create with electronic music in general, like what I love about electronic music is you can make a sound that no human's ever heard before. And dubstep was like a a personification of that. It's like, right, let's get wild and, and see what we can do. And then I've just kind of ridden the wave, I suppose, since that point and just kind of naturally carried on writing music and did whatever felt right. And now I'm here and I'm still writing music and I'm still looking ahead and I'm still looking for what hasn't existed yet. So it's kind of like where I am, I feel nearly in the exact same space creatively as I was when I started, because that never ends. That drive to create something new and just imagine and look at the sky and think, wow, what could be there? And look at your speakers and think, wow, what could come out of those? That never goes away. So I'm just, I'm constantly going through it so I don't really stop to look at what's happened with dubstep because the point was never dubstep the point was to create something that's exciting and that can always happen so it doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm at there's an end point does that make any sense basically dubstep was a creative outlet for your
2: the passion you felt for music and expression and it just made sense it clicked you didn't have to force it and because of the way you approached it you're it's not something where you feel like you've been burned out or that <clears throat> it has an end point because it's all just expression of josh rather than <clears throat> i a trend or keeping up with some image i've created but it's always been about expression for you and dubstep's just a medium
1: uh, yeah it's reminded me of a, a point that i've kind of come to a few times with this and it's If you, I believe that the best music to write, everyone should write is the music that is in their heads. Don't listen to, obviously we all listen to loads of music, but kind of like the music that's in your head is in no one else's because it's completely made up of all of your experiences and you as a complete individual, if you want to have your own sound or start something new, it has to come completely from you. And that's always going to be kind of boring to you because you've heard it in your head loads of times, and you know it so intricately. So what's innovative to the rest of the world, to you is just you. And I think people sometimes think their music's boring, or they may stop themselves being themselves entirely, because they're just like, oh no, no one will be interested in this. But that's just a, self, a self-absorbed a self way of looking at it, because if someone is entirely individual, and write music, that's just come from them and from their heart. No one else has got that. And that is where new music comes from and all these new movements and stuff like that. And artists throughout through generations that we revere as like geniuses. I think genius is a really strong word because some of those people were just confident and incredibly single-minded and really strong-willed and just believed in what was in their head and That kind of is a genius in a sense, but I think we can all achieve so much more than we think we can if we stop doubting that people would be interested in what we really want to do, I think. And I think that innovation is boring to you, but it's the most exciting thing anyone else has ever heard.
2: I, I love hearing these thoughts from someone who is mature in this industry. Electronic music, I feel like, especially on the mainstream fields, is still fairly new. Because you've been there so long, it's really interesting to hear your perspective as opposed to some of the other people that we have the pleasure of talking with.
1: It's mainly me and Kill the Noise, a lot of these conversations. He's like, he's my go-to guy. If I want to talk about something deep, me and Kill the Noise will go in and end up in a I like ideas like this. You know, you've kind
0: of talked about how you know, in, in interviews in the past, you've tried to steer towards the things that you want to talk about. But in this conversation that we've been having, or just things on your mind lately, has there been anything that you really want to talk about, but you haven't had a chance to talk about it
1: with someone? Probably quite a lot. I mean, Flux Pavilion is apolitical. So I don't talk about politics because Flux Pavilion is a wizard who is fused with the energy of his music and doesn't really care for politics. But it is, we are in a, an interesting place with the world and with kind of like division. And so I find myself thinking about that more and more, and I don't really have any opinions on it because I just kind of think people should talk more. I think that's generally what I've ended up with, that when I see two people not being able to have a conversation about stuff, that feels like it's a problem in the world. Everyone's kind of shouting at each other. It comes up because I see it in music quite a lot too, where there's people getting angry at each other for liking different types of music or wanting to dress a certain way or wanting to dance a certain way and i always find it really disappointing yeah that no that people aren't communicating with each other more and i yeah i really i rarely talk about it so yeah that that's a thing but yeah it's, a, it's an unformed thought because i don't talk about it that much but i think we're in it yeah we're in an interesting space yeah um, like politically and it's kind of exciting to see what's going to happen i think this is where people push back this kind of environment that we're in. This is where people push back and come together. And I think this is where really interesting and amazing art is created because it's people just don't feel comfortable. I think that's kind of what feels at the moment no one really feels comfortable anywhere because everyone's just kind of waiting for something to happen. And I'm like I'm interested to see what that's going to be. In that discomfort, I think there's a there's a really kind of beautiful sense of community where everyone sort of comes together. And um yeah, I wanna know what that sounds like. That's that's what I keep thinking. I want to know what music this climate is going to give birth to. Because it's, yeah, I think it will be the next thing that none of us have heard yet. Is there
0: anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I'm writing a new album.
1: Nice. That's the thing. I guess if we're here, if we're here promoting. Yeah, go for it. uh, Whatever you want. Yeah, there's actually not much to say about it other than it's really the most Flux Pavilion feeling project I feel like I've ever done. In the sense of, I don't know. Well, I guess I've been. Th- I think quite a lot about punk. I Always felt like dubstep was punk to me. What I thought like punk isn't like yeah, burn the burn the White House or whatever. Like that. I think that's kind of what punk has become through loads of stories and media and stuff. I feel like punk is really just kind of doing whatever you want to do, quite simply. And for a while, that is that was being angry. Everyone wanted to be angry, and they weren't allowed to shout. At politics or whatever people weren't allowed to shout so punk became this sort of outlet for people being like you know what i don't like what you're selling and i'm allowed to feel this kind of thing and i don't i think we've got quite a lot of that in the world now that that doesn't feel so punk anymore and it makes me i was kind of thinking how aggressive music's got and i was like I'm playing this the wildest music I've ever played. Sometimes some of this really gnarly, heavy stuff, but it doesn't feel viscerally punk to me. Like I don't feel like I'm doing something because I want to do it. Like it feels weirdly safe, even though it sounds so aggressive. And that kind of got me thinking about about punk and about doing being exactly who you are. And I think. To be that honest and open, for me, musically, there's so much more kind of like sadness and somberness and feeling really more than anything else. There's a lot of feeling that as a society, we don't really let ourselves do like we try not to cry. You know, we try not to be too soppy. We want to be strong, but there's so much feeling there, like this epicness. That's what I love about music when it really makes me feel stuff. And to me, punk is feeling things and being honest about how you feel. And if you want to feel cheesy about your first date that you just had and have a little dance about it, that's real. And it's honest. And like, I think that's punk. Punk is feeling stuff. So that's what my new record kind of is, is me trying to continue down the lines of channeling, like writing punk music, but it's all really emotional and epic and musical and just kind of like, I'm trying to channel just sincerity, I guess, sincere feelings that I have. And I feel more like a punk. Than I ever used to, because I'm just kind of writing stuff that's real, but it doesn't sound aggressive at all. And yeah, it feels it feels very much like what Flux Pavilion was and what I always wanted it to be, but it just sounds so vastly different. So it's it's been an interesting process for me to be like, this is exactly what my music means to me, but it sounds so incredibly different. Like it's uh, there's still some through lines, there's still some massive saw waves and like big kicks and big snares, but yeah, it's uh, it feels like I'm creating a A different sonic palette but I'm still channeling the same the same kind of drive to just be true to to myself and it's been yeah it's been really fun so so that's happening
0: after having this conversation and hearing you describe your new album in such a way like, I can honestly say I'm all like I'm almost or evenly excited about your new album as I was about Avengers Endgame like, I am so so <laughs> yeah. about this freaking, about your album dude after hearing something so raw and so true like that I, this is amazing I, we tip our hats to you for coming on and, and talking like this did you have a good time man
1: yeah yeah no always always love talking always love getting deep I mean it's like it feels like half of the course really if you're gonna spend loads of time trying to channel feelings and stuff, a good outlet is to be able to talk about them and talk about it for a bit.
0: Hey, Daw Nation, hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Behind the Daw with Flux Pavilion. And by the way, if there was anything in this episode that was helpful to you, go ahead and take a screenshot right now of you listening to the podcast and tag me on an Instagram story at in the DAW, behind the Daw and tell me what concept really, really helped you out this week. I really want to hear from you. In fact, you can also tag Flux Pavilion at Flux Pavilion, crazy how that works, and let us know, and I can at least guarantee a personal response from me, maybe from Flux Pavilion too, who knows, but go ahead and send that over. I'd love to hear what really, really helped you out this week. Again, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, Donation, like, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Deezer, what else is there, SoundCloud, YouTube, whatever is out there, it doesn't matter where you are, it just helps us know that we're moving in the direction that you need us to, Donation. Also, Donation, if you want private music production lessons or private social, Media marketing lessons to be able to push your music even further. Go ahead and head on over to inthedaw.net and you can schedule a session with me over there. By the way, if you also want a private music production lesson with AU5, which is this is very exclusive, there's very limited space with this, go ahead and email me at wyattindeda.net. At we can get you set up. I'm just warning you, it's very pricey, but if you want to pay that kind of stuff, you can go for it, which in fact is a perfect segue into my next point. Donation, if you want to increase your sound design skills and take them to to a whole new level, then make sure to check out the AU5 and in the DOC course called the School Base. It has over 20 hours of videos showing extremely unique and advanced sound design techniques that AU5 and I have gathered over the last Fifteen years. It also includes a ridiculously huge amount of effects racks, instrument racks, and project files. And we've also included a bunch of bonuses to make your experience better. Some of which are the MIDI arrangement templates of over seventy of AU5 songs, so you can see how he arranged his most famous songs. We also include a sound design journal template that we have loaded with over forty-five different techniques. You get access to the Daw Nation Facebook group, and you get a personal twenty-minute music strategy session with me. Now, of course, we originally priced this course course out at $497, but we decided to do two different pricing options. The first one is the subscription route. So you can just use the course for as long as you want. This one is priced at $47 per month. There's no long term commitment. You can cancel any time. You can be a part of it for literally a month or two months or three months or whatever you want. It's just however long you want to take the course. It's there, but we are going to update videos in the course as well as bring even more videos into the course. So the longer you stay, the more you get out of it. But if you're not much of a subscription guy, you can also go with the lifetime access. This one is the second price point at $247. One-time fee, you pay it once, you get access for the rest of your life. Now, Donation, I do need to let you know that these prices, I cannot guarantee that they're gonna stay this way. Because in October of 2019, we are going to stop enrollment to the school base for a couple of months. We're gonna reassess everything. We're gonna be adding more and more content. Now, of course, if you sign up before then, you're gonna be absolutely fine. But when we come back at the beginning of 2020, the prices are gonna be more. So I would highly encourage you to be able to hop on right now because the prices are going to go up because the value keeps going up with the school base. So if you want to hop on the subscription right now and be able to lock that in, you'll be able to lock that in and have that forever. If you want to hop on the lifetime access, you can hop on the lifetime access and be able to have that forever. It's whatever you want. It's whatever you need. You're completely in control of this situation, Donation. So if you want to hop on, we'd love to have you. We'd love to meet you. So Donation, you can find links to the school base in the description of this episode, or you can head on over to net and try it out there. But Donation, if you're not not quite sure that the school base is for you, I'd highly encourage you to head on over to net and take the free course. You can take a free version of the course literally right now. It's over an hour long. It shows you the things that we're going to be talking about in the course, the different techniques, you know, the advancedness of sound design. It's over there. You can go check it out right now. And you can also see comments and quotes from huge producers that have already taken the course. People like Dion Timmer, Phase One Company, people of that nature. Okay. So go ahead, head on over to there. But Donation, I really hope you enjoy this episode. And I hope I see over in the school base. But if not, then Daw Nation, we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Daw, which will be coming out in about roughly two weeks. But next week, we will be uploading an episode of In the Daw. So we are bringing you an episode every single week. Okay, Daw Nation, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic day. And remember, Daw Nation, to make sure to spend time behind the Daw so you can absolutely crush it when you go in the Daw.